Okay. Thursday morning, we started getting weather reports a week and a half ago. And all of your favorites, Pete Delkus, I don't know who you watch, they started putting up maps that had red over DFW. And they said the threat of severe weather is extremely high. The threat of large hail, the threat of tornadoes is coming later in the day. So start preparing now so that you're ready. Schools were letting out early. It was like the apocalypse. Um, We canceled rehearsals at church because we don't want anybody's car getting torn up from hail. And then sure enough, about 6.30-ish, where I was, 6.30-ish, maybe 7, depending where you're at, all of a sudden the sirens started going off. Yeah, y'all heard them too. So in my house, that means everybody in the closet Whatever your safe place is, a bathroom in the interior of the house, maybe a closet, you all go there when the sirens go off, and you're trying to prepare for this crazy storm. You don't know what's coming your way, and um, I, I just want you to know what I was doing while everybody else was running to the safe room. What, 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 while you were undercover safely um, guarding from the storm, I took an, oh, they, I said, I need to get a selfie of what's going on with the weather. So here I am, the rain's coming, the wind's blowing. Safety first, though, I have my helmet. I know it's not buckled, so it's not going to help me. Um, Yes, I'm that guy. For those of you, yes, that crazy white guy who should be inside. My wife's like, what are you doing? Get in the house. And, uh, man, it was so, it it was crazy because the, the wind was howling. And everything we thought was going to happen, the tornadoes and the hail, really didn't happen. Something different happened. It wasn't a tornado that we could see or hail that we could see. Instead, we had some of the strongest winds come through that we've ever had in DFW. 70 to 80 mile an hour winds. And here goes what happened. The damage wasn't done by all the big things we were expecting. It was done by the invisible thing that we could not see. And isn't that what happens in our relationships so many times? We prepare for the big things, and in preparing for the big things, we miss the invisible things that can creep in and do tremendous damage. And that's what happened last week. The the, the shingles were still gone. People's fences torn over. People's trampolines flying in the air to their next-door neighbor's house. That's one of our staff members here. Sent me a picture. Everything's going crazy because of the wind And those little moments in our lives where we let little things slide, complacency, invisible, spending too much time scrolling, being inconsiderate, all these things creep in and ruin our relationships. And it's a slow fade because before the rose, I love this series, before the rose, our focus is fixed on one thing. Marrying our spouse. Nothing else matters. We will rearrange our schedule. We will leave work early. We will do whatever we have to to win their love. But after the rose, the fight begins when every distraction possible creeps in to try to distract us. And if we're not careful, the slow fade will creep in. Song of Solomon chapter 2. This is a very crazy book of the Bible, Song of Solomon. This is not one you want to let your 10-year-old read. They're going to have some questions for you. Song of Solomon chapter 2. It's Solomon and the Shulamite woman. They're getting ready to be married. And here goes what happens right here. 
This is her talking to Solomon. She says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. Catch those little foxes. Little. In other words, there are some big things out there, yes. There are some lions. There are some tigers. There are some bears. There are some crazy things. But I need you, Solomon, to watch out for the little things too. Because here's what the foxes would do. They creep into the vineyard at night. They go eat some of the vine, then they creep back out. And the next day, you really don't know what's happened. Next night comes through, they creep in, they eat a little bit more. After days and weeks pass by, you wake up one morning and all of a sudden the whole vine's gone. And you wonder, what happened? The little foxes. And isn't it crazy that all of this is New Testament imagery? Jesus Christ says he is the vine. He says, we are the branches. We should bear much fruit. What fruit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says, this is the fruit of the Spirit that the little foxes, if you're not careful, will come in and completely destroy the little foxes. Can you all say little foxes? There's big threats to marriage out there. Yes, infidelity is huge. Abuse is real. All of these things are big addictions, wreak havoc in marriage. I'm not minimizing the big things, but what I'm saying is if we're not careful, the little things will lead to the big things. So we've got to watch out for the little things. We cannot neglect these because here's what we hear most of the time. When people get ready to get divorced, you hear the big things, but there's also the little things that show up every single time. Here's what they say. You know what? We were just growing apart. Or we just fell out of love. Or we're just not compatible anymore. Odds are that's a lot of us watching and listening today that we're wrestling with these things. And we can't overlook them because these show up over and over again. And here's what happens. The little foxes creep in and slowly turn soulmates into roommates. The title for our talk today is, Help, I Feel Like We're Becoming Roommates. And every single couple in here knows what it's like to be just a roommate and not a soulmate. And what we want to guard against is, how do I not go from soulmates to roommates? And if that's happening, how can I go from roommates back to soulmates in the context of a marriage? Because people don't fall in love, get married, and say automatically, I just want to wreck my marriage the next day. It's a slow, slow fade. It's a slow fade. It's a slow drift. And what happens is passion turns into mundane routine. Intimacy turns into disinterest. Connection turns into icy distance. Sex turns into something that's traded for just more sleep. Enjoyment turns into boredom. Shared visions vanish. Peace becomes tension. And before you know it, all of a sudden, the little foxes over time have destroyed your marriage. It doesn't happen in one day. Some of you have seen a show or heard about a show called Hoarders that comes on TV. Hoarders, those are people who uh, collect too much stuff. They cannot get rid of stuff. Some of you are thinking, I live with one. Hoarders. And it doesn't happen in one day. There's, there's usually a psychiatrist. There, there's a, a special organizing specialist. 
And they work together to intervene with somebody who's a hoarder, who just collects stuff. Because over time, it just adds up. And before you know it, it looks like Fred G. Sanford's house. It's like everything is right there. But it didn't happen overnight. It was a collection of things over and over and day by day and week by week. So what I want to do is I want to show you today 10 traits of married roommates. This is a quiz that you can do with your spouse. 10 traits of married roommates. And what you want to do is you want to determine, hey, are we a one? Are we really not good at this? Or maybe we're a 10. We're doing great at this. And you want to identify which ones are we drifting in. Number one is busyness. That's all, you know, all I want to say about this one is busyness, for too many of us in here, busyness is like a badge of honor. We wear busyness as a badge. I'm busy, I'm doing a lot, that means I'm successful, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. We're so busy that we're just passing like ships in the night. Busyness, sometimes busyness is based on a season. Maybe you just have four young kids and you have no choice but to be busy. Sometimes you choose busy, but busy leads us to number two, which is exhaustion. You're so busy, you don't have any energy to commit to your spouse. You're completely exhausted. All I want to do is rest. When I get home, I just want to crash. Number three is all business. All business means all we do, when we look at our communication, all we do is talk about business. We're just administrating through our marriage. Number four is disconnected. We've already disconnected from each other. We don't have similar interests, so we're just living apart but in the same house. Number five is complacent. We take the little things for granted that our spouses do. And over time, that little fox adds up. Number six is spiritually distant. That just means that the, we don't pray together. We don't pray together. And praying over the meal does not count. Let me help you out. Just blessing the food does not count. Are you praying together? Are you going to church together? Are you serving together? Are you connected with other Christian couples who are trying to go the same direction as you? Are you spiritually connected? Number six is conflict avoidance. That means when conflict comes, we just hope it'll fix itself. That's me at least. I avoid conflict. I'm not fight. I'm flight. Let's just pray that it'll all work itself out. No. No. Conflict is like a little baby shark. Baby shark. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Conflict is a baby shark that is going to grow up to be a big shark unless you deal with it. Number eight is we live in a sexless marriage. Studies show right now that 15 to 20% of married couples have not had sex within one year. 15 to, that means probably two or 300 people in this room. Let that one sink in. God created sex for our own enjoyment, for a part of our intimacy. And what happens, we put that on the back burner because of all the other things. Number nine is visionless. In other words, we don't know where we're going. We're just living. We're just going through the motions. And number 10 is unsafe. If our marriage is not a place where we can truly connect with each other, on a heart level and be in a safe place, then we're missing the mark. These are 10 traits. What you need to do with these traits is you need to go home. You need to see which ones are we failing at so that we can then counter in those areas. And we're going to talk through different ways to counter the ways that we become roommates. Because here's what happens. It's a slow drift. Here's the path to roommates. Disappointment. Prolonged disappointment in one of these areas then leads to discouragement. You get discouraged and wonder, is it really going to get better? Prolonged discouragement leads to frustration. 
you start to get a little cynical. This isn't going to get better. Prolonged frustration leads to bitterness and anger. So you're frustrated, and now that lasts a long time. Then you get bitter and angry. Prolonged bitterness leads to disconnection. The challenge is spotting it up here and not down here. It's real easy to see when someone's disconnected and angry, right? It's super hard to see when they've just got a small disappointment. Easy to see this, hard to see this, but if we connect and communicate, we can begin to cut this off before it goes through this progression. Y'all still good? You good? So what we've got to do is realize that loneliness is the silent killer in marriage. When the spouse, the singles, you think that marriage is going to, too many singles think marriage is going to cure your loneliness. Guess what? You can get into a marriage and feel more lonely than when you're single because you think that that was going to fix your loneliness, but you get into a situation where now you're more alone even though you live with someone and you're more disappointed, discouraged, frustrated, and then bitter. Loneliness is the silent killer, and over time it does damage. We begin to coexist, and we separate emotionally. We separate spiritually. We separate physically, and that's not God's design. Roommate marriages never last long term. It's in stark contrast for God's design for marriage. When God created everything, Pastor Conway walked through some of Genesis chapter 3 last week. and In Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. The heavens, the stars, the earth, the water, the birds, the fish, the animals, everything God created, he says it's good. He looked at it, it's good, it's good, it's good. The first thing God said was not good was for man to be alone. So he created him a helpmate. We are relational beings. We're meant to have relationships. So what we've got to do is realize God's created this way for us to live. Now, quick disclaimer, when I say soulmate, I'm, I'm not talking about the world or the culture's definition of a soulmate. Some of you have seen Napoleon Dynamite, and you remember this character in there named Uncle Rico. He would always sit back and dream about if I could just be sitting in a hot tub soaking it up with my soulmate. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, Jerry Maguire, and they're in that scene, and they say, you complete me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about somebody that completes you. It's not like two puzzle pieces that we fit together. No, that's not what I'm talking about. When I say soulmate, I mean two individuals who enter into a covenant before God. They decide that they're going to love each other, and they decide that it's before God, and they decide that we're going to do this to honor and glorify him. And this marriage is not about me, it's about we, and it's about how we can point others to Jesus with purpose. That's what I mean when I say soulmate. And we've got to figure out how do we not go from soulmate to roommate? Because roommates are exhausted, have nothing to give, but soulmates give regularly out of abundance. Roommates don't have time for each other always, but soulmates use simple Everyday moments to stay connected. It's the simple little things. Here's where we have to slow down and not miss the small moments. Back to Song of Solomon chapter 2. So the first, chapter 2 verse 15 was the Shulamite woman talking. Verse 14 is now Solomon talking. And he says, oh my dove. What is, this is in the Bible. It's okay to have a name that you call your spouse. What is that name for you? Don't say it out loud. Just think it. I've got mine for my wife. And dove, this is God's symbol of peace, of love, of harmless. He says, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, 
in the secret place of the steep pathway. Let me see your form. Mm. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. What Solomon's saying here is, turn off the lights. Light a candle. He's saying, I want to see you. Do you see what he's saying here? Do you understand the words that are coming out of his mouth? <laughs> he's making an invitation known to his beloved. I want to connect with you. This is a little extreme right here. But what I want to teach you today is that these little connecting moments are what make all the difference. When somebody does this in the context of marriage to invite the other person in, we have a choice. And there's one thing that married couples that stay married do better than couples that get divorced. It's, it's like the saying, you've got one job. One thing that married couples do better, here's what they do. Married couples do better at turning towards their spouse rather than away from their spouse. Married couples, statistically speaking, 86% of the time, couples who stayed married for the long haul, 86% of the time when their spouse makes an invitation, they turn towards their spouse. Couples that get divorced, studies show, only 36% of the time do they turn towards the invitation. That means 64% of the time they turn away. Do you hear me? When the invitation is made, the couples that stay together turn towards, the ones who divorce turn away. There's a psychologist that coined this phrase, bids for connection. Just think of a bid as an invitation. His name is Dr. John Gottman. He did this whole study on bids for connection. And what he's shown is, is that we have options and opportunities when an invitation is made in the context of marriage. So here we go. Throughout the day, we all make, every single one of us, married, single, every single one of us make bids for connections to other people. In marriage, we all make Tons of bids for connection to our spouse. So, for example, let's say the husband is a car fanatic or has a car that he really likes. Let's just call that me, okay? Um, and you're driving down the road. You pull up to a red light, and next to you pulls up a, a car, and the husband says, me, because you all know what kind of car that I want. Um, he says, oh, my goodness, that is a Tesla S-Class plaid edition, self-driving autopilot, zero to 60 in 1.99 seconds, can go 350 miles on one charge with no gas, costs $132,000. Do you see that car right there? Now, most wives would think that their husband is just foolish about that car, that he's just car crazy, right? What is this fool talking about? But what you don't realize is most times that's actually an invitation for connection. Now, let's unpack an invitation for connection. He wants a small sign that you are interested in what moves him. In a subtle way, your husband is hoping that you will connect with him, even if momentarily over his interest in that car. 
You see, bids or invitations for connection are tricky because sometimes they can seem so meaningless. Sometimes they can seem so subtle. They often appear trivial like, guess how much I paid for this? Or do you see this new outfit I just bought? Or a quick text message or a funny video that you send to your spouse? Or can you help me by taking the trash out? Or you won't believe the day I've had. These are all bids for connection that seem so subtle that sometimes we miss. And when your spouse makes a bid, she's looking for a positive response where you show interest in what interests her. The key to recognizing the bid for connection is understanding there's a deep, most of the time, a deeper meaning behind everything we say. I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to give you some examples. Um, The first one's the hardest. When your spouse says, how does my new outfit look? a setup. Um, (laughs) Most of the time, really what she's saying is, will you affirm me? When your spouse says, can you help put the kids to bed? What they are a lot of times saying is, I've had a really long day. Can you help me out? When they say, hey, can you sit next to me? What they could be saying is, I need some affection, not Solomon affection. I need non-sexual. Just will you be here with me right now and not try to take this too far? Sorry. Or I had a terrible interaction with somebody at work. What they could be saying is, will you comfort me right now? They don't want to hear how bad your interaction was. They don't want to hear your one up or one down on them. Or they could say, can we watch TV together? They could be saying, can we unwind together? Or they send you something on Instagram or Facebook, a funny video. Will you take interest in something I thought was funny today? Or they may say, how was work today? That could mean I want to have an adult conversation for a few minutes. When it comes to bids for connection, it's not the depth of conversation that follows after them. It's not whether you like or dislike what they have to say. It's not whether you're interested in the subject matter. It's not the level of intimacy that comes after. It's all in how you and I respond. Do we show interest in what interests them? Do we turn towards them or do we turn away? So here's the options you have in bids for connection. Check this out. You have the first option, which is to turn away when they say something. The second option is to turn against. You fight what they have to say. The third option is you turn towards. And what we have to figure out is how do we turn towards in as many of these as we can. Let's go back to the Tesla example because I like Teslas. When I see that Tesla 2023 S-Class plaid edition, you know, all that good stuff, and I say all that, The first thing my wife could do is she could just pull out her phone and keep texting and ignore me and be thinking, maybe if I just stop responding, he'll stop talking about it. That's turning away. Turning against could be, now you know we're never going to spend $132,000 on a car. Would you stop talking about this foolish car? That's turning against. Turning toward would be, oh my goodness, tell me more about that car. How fast does it go? All of a sudden, my heart has just opened up. Thank you, Jesus. Even if I'm not going to get the car, I know she's interested in what I'm interested in. More damage is not done by against. The most damage is done by turning away. When we go the other direction, when an invitation for connection is made. So remember, all he or she wants is a small sign that you're interested in what they're interested in. 
What you're saying is, I'm interested in you. You matter to me. I'm open to connecting with you. I'm listening. I want to understand you. What you're saying is, we're on the same team. I'd like to help you. I'd like to be with you. I accept you. Even, even though I don't get what this is, I am here with you. And unfortunately, in marriage, too many of these bids and invitations go unanswered. This sends an unintentional message that you don't want to connect with the other person. And worse yet, if we continually miss invitations for connection, guess what? They'll stop making invitations for connection. That's when loneliness creeps in. That's when we plunge into a downward spiral. Now, check this out. I know you're busy. I know you don't have time. We don't have time to respond to every single thing. I'm not trying to guilt you into all of that. But what I want you to know is every now and then you just need to pause and say, yes, I love you too, and that's really cool. You don't have to pause and have a 30-minute conversation every time, but you need to acknowledge, respond, and show them that you care. Let's check, check this out. Just missing one bid for connection is not going to ruin your marriage. That's not what I'm saying. If you miss one, guess what? Just hop on the next one. So what we've got to do is realize one's not going to mess it up. It's when the little foxes creep in day after day. So we've got to learn how to spot these. And remember that love is cultivated in each one of these small moments. It's a grind in everyday life. And we've got to figure out how do I make the most out of these small moments. And the only way to do that is to pursue honest, open communication with each other. That's where we come to this next passage, Joel chapter 2. It's an Old Testament prophet. Joel chapter 2. Here's what's going on. He's a prophet, and God is speaking to him, and he's saying, you know what, Joel? I want you to tell everybody, here's what's about to happen. Um, an army's going to come in to invade God's people in Jerusalem. It's all going to get burned down. The Garden of Eden is going to turn into Death Valley. It will be demolished. The soldiers will come in. They will be lined up. They will be determined. They will be disciplined. They will climb over the walls. They will destroy all of Jerusalem. The punchline is, is that this army has been allowed to come against God's people by God. Here's why. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. They've closed their heart and run from God. And with fasting and weeping and mourning, verse 13, and rend your heart, not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relenting of evil. Look at this passage. Rend your hearts and not your garments. We tend to put on a show instead of sharing our heart. And what he's saying is, I don't care about the show you're putting on about how sorry you are. Will you open your heart? And rending our heart is a place where we're no longer hiding ourselves. To be loved well and to love well is to be fully known. And no matter how much I'm hurt, I'm willing to open my heart and try. Because I trust in God, not in the other person, because God is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And what we have to do is go into real communication, trusting God as the source and saying, I'm willing to open my heart. And not just put on a show. So there's three levels of communication that we're going to talk about real quick. All right? Three levels of communication. These are how we lean in to communication. The first one is right here. This is surface level communication. Y'all ever been in one of these? Praise the Lord. Surface level communication. 
This is where you're on the surface. Yeah, maybe you went to New Bronzeville and you've done that whole situation with one of these. Or maybe you've been out on the Trinity River in the dirty water and you've been on one of these. I don't know, maybe a lake. Maybe you've been to the local water park and you get in the lazy river. Isn't it funny that it's called the lazy river? (laughs) Surface level communication is small talk. It's lazy talk. If all you do is talk about what's the weather, who's picking up the kids, who's getting dinner tonight, that's lazy communication. That's small talk. All you're doing is floating down the lazy river. Now, here's the deal. You do need small talk. Small talk opens the gates to levels two and three that we're going to talk about. But if you live on small talk, you will slowly turn into roommates. You've got to get out of this thing every now and then. Let's see if I can get out of there. Praise the Lord. Now, what else do we have under here? Level two. Now, if you're ready to go a little bit deeper, at least get under the surface. Can I talk with this thing on? What you're going to do is you're going to go snorkeling. Yeah, that sounds weird, don't I? Uh, Snorkeling is where you get just beneath the surface. This is work talk. This is problem talk. This is where you get just beneath the surface. And instead of just seeing things above the water, now you're looking down. You're like, oh, there's Nemo. (laughs) You see all the colorful fish. You're still floating on top, but you see a whole new world. That's going to mess my hair up too. Um, So you see all these things when you're Just looking beneath the surface, this is work talk, problem talk. This is where you're sharing how your day really went, where your career is headed, what your desires are, the person that ticked you off at work, your opinions, your external challenges. This is just beneath the surface. So, yes, this is good. We're past level one. We're to level two. We're snorkeling right now. Now, the problem is, is that you can coast through life on levels one and two. Why? Because they naturally happen. You need to have small talk. You naturally have it. You naturally have work talk and problem talk. But we cannot live there or we will start coasting and the little foxes will slowly creep in. Remember, we've got to go to the next level. The next level is where it gets a little more crazy. The next level is where we go, amen, we go scuba diving. So scuba diving is where I know that I need some gear because I'm about to go in some places I can't make it on my own. I'm not just going to go above the surface. I'm not just going to look below the surface. I'm ready to go below the surface. So, okay, here we go. Don't laugh at me. I got my fins on. Scuba, here's what it stands for. Self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. We had a scuba expert that come showed us all this. That's what scuba is. I need my scuba assistant. If, they can, if you can come out, my scuba assistant. Scuba stands for going beneath the surface. And we need some gear that we don't normally have if we're going to have deeper levels of communication. Um, let, me, let me show you all how this all works right here. Let's see. Oh, yeah, right there. Pray for me, y'all. Where's that? Okay, praise the Lord, somebody. Oh, Jesus. This is really heavy. Um, When you get this on, you can breathe through here. So what our scuba specialist told us is there's some rules for scuba diving. 
Number one, always keep breathing continuously. No brainer, right? (laughs) Don't start huffing and puffing. Breathe nice and calmly. Number two, do not panic. Why? That could affect number one. (laughs) Do not panic. Remember, so if we're going to have our gear ready, the Bible says that we should not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Amen? Do not fear. You've got what you need. Number three is check your equipment. Make sure you got air in this tank. This one's full of air. It's heavy. Make sure your equipment is good. Have, Have I been, is my equipment good? Have I been in my word? Am I living by God's Holy Spirit? Am I following him or am I following my desires? Make sure your equipment is legit. Uh, Number four is that the bubbles should always go up. (laughs) Think about that. If the bubbles are going down, that means you're going the wrong way. So make sure that Jesus is your compass and your absolute truth. All right? I've got a couple more for you. Always dive with a buddy. Don't go at it alone. It's too dangerous. We're designed to have deep, intimate connection and conversation with others. And the last one is have fun. God said, I've given you an abundant life. The thief, the little foxes come to kill, to steal and destroy. destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So we've got to go scuba diving, and I've got to get this off because it's really heavy. Thank you, Nate. Amen. Praise the Lord for the props team. We made it. Um, And these silly fins. We've got to go deep sea diving where we have communication that's a little bit uncomfortable for us to talk about our feelings. But let me tell you, we we start to share our feelings, and that's where you have levels one and two. Those are the invitations and bids for connection. Level three is when you talk about those things, and then you say, hey, I see that happen. How 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 did that make you feel? The deeper levels are where we begin to express our emotions. The deeper levels are where we share how we really feel about things. Down deep is really where the wild things are. That's where we see things and have conversations that we're not usually ready for, but that's where life-giving talk happens. Life-giving talk happens down in the deep levels where we talk about all these things. It's not safe always to go down there, but that's where true life change and change happens in our marriage. We've got to bring God into the communication when we go down into the deep. I'm out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Will you be willing to deep dive in communication? Will you be willing to go just beneath the surface? This is where we're going 15, 20, 100 feet down You and I will not thrive unless we learn how to deep dive. I want to spend our last few minutes talking about how to deep dive in communication. How to take a deep dive in communication. There's four elements to taking a deep dive. Number one is tone. Tone is everything in your communication. I'm going to read one sentence three times, and I want you to see if you can... See anything different in how I say it. One sentence, three times. Check this out. Okay, I understand. I'll do it. Okay, I understand. I'll do it. Okay, I understand. I'll do it. The first was the right tone. The second was a frustrated tone. And the third was an angry tone. Guess what? 
your spouse will only hear you if you use the right tone. Tone is greater than the actual words. Tone makes a difference in everything we do. Let, let me help it out with one that you're a little more familiar with. <laughs> the phrase, you're good. You good? You good can mean a lot of different things. You good? You good? You're good. You good? You good? You good? <laughs> Are you good? Um, tone means everything. There's a whole other one I'm not going to get into. You can talk about this one when you get home. There's another one where you say, I'm fine. That one can go a long ways. Your spouse will only hear you if you use the correct tone in what you're saying. Tone means everything. It's impossible to communicate with somebody who does not care and has the wrong tone. You can be saying all the right words but all the wrong way, and they will not hear it. Words do matter, yes, but tone matters more. Have you ever been out to eat and had bad service from a waiter or waitress? Like, they've got the wrong tone. Like, I can't get this refill in this drink right here. They're always looking the other way. They're distracted. Their tone is off. Tone means everything. Here's what tone does. Tone expresses if you care or not. Tone communicates care, and if they don't care, you can't communicate with them. Care is everything. I married you because I care for you. I married you because I love you. When my wife says, hey, Matt, when Anissa says, hey, Matt, can you, whatever it is, if I say, what? If she says, hey, Matt, can you, and I say, what is it? Or she says, hey, Matt, say, what do you need help with? Those all communicate something different, and sometimes we intentionally use tone to communicate that we're not interested. Our tone means everything. Every tone embeds what we really mean with what we're saying. When you're talking to your spouse, tone is more important than words. What your tone must say is, I hear you. This is a safe place. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm interested in what you have to say. And here, here's the deal. A bad tone is like a jamming frequency in communication. The message cannot be received with a bad tone. And what our wives need to hear, fellas, is they need to hear a tone from us that communicates security and safety. And when they hear that tone, then they're usually open to communication. Women, here's what men need to hear. Our egos are some troubling things in men, okay? What our egos need to hear is, is that you respect and honor us. And when we hear respect and honor in, uh, in your communication, in your tone, it opens our hearts. Guess what? If you're a parent and you have kids and you have sons and daughters, guess what? Your tone applies to them as well. How you respond and how you say things makes a difference. If you have just relationships, if you're single in here and you have relationships with others, your tone matters in how you talk to your friends and those that you might be courting. You know what? Let's go back to the invitations to connection. Single people, I don't want to leave you out. You know how couples, I said you need to turn towards. Some of the single people in the house, when invitations for connection are made, you need to flip that whole thing I just taught. <laughs> you need to do more turning away. Then turning towards. 
because there's a lot of knuckleheads trying to make an invitation to connect with you. And you've got to have great people in your life so that you can turn away from them and have people that you're turning towards so that you can see, is this the right thing or the wrong thing? That was just a parenthetical note. I'm sorry. Back to the topic of tone. Women will open their hearts if the tone is securing. Men will open their hearts if they feel honored with your tone. That's number one, tone. Can you all say tone? tone? Number two is time. Say time. time. Underneath time, just write 10 minutes. Studies show that average couples spend less than four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. I'm talking level three. But yet studies also show that couples are more excited about their relationship when they have meaningful conversations. So what's the problem? It's the little foxes that creep in and distract us. And so I want you to do the 10-minute the rule. The 10-minute rule means what I want to ask you, how many times do you have an uninterrupted 10-minute conversation with your spouse in a day? You've got to prioritize that. I've got to prioritize that. You need to tell the kids mommy and daddy need some mommy and daddy time. Give them an iPad. Let them watch a TV show. They'll be okay. What you're telling them is this is a marriage-centered home, not a kid-centered home. You are training them that this is the most important thing in this house. And get away and spend some time respecting your marriage and communicating with each other. Now, actually, when you leave today, everyone's going to get an envelope. This is our gift to you to help you have that 10-minute conversation time. They, all couples will get one, and all single individuals will get one. Couples, when you get this, don't open it until the kids are away, until you have time to focus on it. Singles, when you get this, when you have time alone with God, you open this. And this is our gift to you today when you leave so that you can have some real communication. That's time. Number three is trust. Tone, time, trust. Is this a safe place? Can I share my heart with you? Too many times we penalize our spouse for being real. And every time we penalize them, we train them that it's not okay to be safe in this relationship. Ultimately, safety is found in their character. Are they faithful? Are they servant-hearted? Are they sacrificial? Are they humble? Can you depend on them? Their character will show the trust and faithfulness you can have. And the whole point of dating relationships or courting or whatever you call it is to begin to discover the character of the other person and how trustworthy are they. Here's how you know if somebody's trustworthy. In conflict, are they still approachable and responsible? In commitment, do they threaten to use the D word, divorce? In confidentiality, do they share what we talk about inside this marriage? In crisis, are they loyal, faith-filled, and committed? Can I come into marriage and complain about something because I need somebody to talk to? Complaining, criticizing, two different things. Criticizing is when I come in and say, I point the finger at my spouse. You did, you did, you did. Complain is where I need to unwind or I need to say how something made me feel. Complaining is, I can't, criticizing is, I can't believe you did that. Complaining is, you know what? You said something yesterday, it made me feel this way. I'm not sure if that's what you wanted me to feel, but that's what I felt, and I'm trying to figure this out. Can we talk about that? Even complaining can be how something made them feel at work, and I'm as guilty as anybody. Sometimes when I'm tired and my wife needs to come talk and she's gone through a hard day, and, and I just want to one-up her on what she's complaining about. Well, you'll never believe what happened to me. <laughs> but what she really needs is someone to listen. And can we create a trustworthy environment? The last one is teamwork. 
tone, time, trust, teamwork, this is where we realize that marriage is just like a boxing ring. And not where you're fighting each other, but where you realize you're in each other's corner. So that when the battle rages on, what you know is you have a ring man right behind you who's not going to use your weaknesses against you, but it's actually going to help defend your weaknesses against the enemy. We need a wingman in our corner, and it takes teamwork to say, you know what, I've got your back. Look, the enemy's coming this way. You might want to turn this way. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to cheer for you. When you're having a hard time, I'm going to cry with you. We need teamwork in the context of marriage. We need tone. We need time. We need trust. We need teamwork. That's how we take a deep dive. Now, whether you're a couple, whether you're single, all of these are good elements for communication. And what we want to do in all of these is figure out how can we honor each other and glorify God. In a room this size, in a viewing audience this size, there's a lot of people that feel like roommates right now. And there is good news for you. If you each learn how to respond to invitations for connection, if you each learn how to have deeper communication, you can move from roommates to soulmates. That's our prayer for everyone here today, that we can respond to the connection and that we can have real communication. Would you join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for what your word shares about relationships. God, right now I pray for every marriage in the house today because, God, the enemy wants to come and pilfer. He wants to come and destroy. He wants to send, if not the big things, the little foxes in to slowly drift us apart from our spouses. If he can't take us down, he wants to make us ineffective. And, God, right now I pray that you will stir in our hearts a passion for you and for our spouse. God, I pray that our marriages will not be focused on me, but on we. That we can both run hard after you. That we can respond well to each other. That we can take our communication to the next level. God, would you help us in the hard places? For those that are in that roommate phase right now, would you help us commit to doing these things? For those who've experienced the pain of it, God, would you, would you allow us to open our hearts to communication again where we've closed it off? God, most of all, would you give us a humble spirit full of humility so that, God, our marriages can be the example of you and your church. God, would you help us live, walk this out? Would you heal us and help us where we need it most? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all. Let's thank God for his word.